1: Hello and welcome to a special edition of the RHS Gardening Podcast. Today we're talking about books. The winter months are the ideal time to rethink and replant your garden and get inspiration and information about design plants and horticultural techniques from the wealth of gardening manuals on the market. It's also a great time to curl up with a good book for the pleasure of reading alone, avoiding the cold, wet and windy weather outside. And with Christmas rapidly approaching, a book makes a welcome present for any garden lover in your life. I'm Guy Barter, Chief Horticulturist at the RHS. Today I'm joined by three book and plant loving colleagues in our busy bustling publishing headquarters in Peterborough to discuss classic and contemporary gardening tomes.
2: Hello, I'm Fiona Davison and I'm the Head of Libraries and Exhibitions at the RHS based at the Lindley Library in London.
3: Hello, I'm Mike Grant. I'm Editor of The Plantsman and I also edit the RHS Specialist Publications and I'm based in Peterborough at our media office.
4: I'm Chris Young. I'm the Editor of The Garden, the RHS monthly members magazine and I'm also Head of Editorial. So I oversee all the publishing of books, mags, websites and podcasts. Mike, tell us a
1: bit about The Plantsman. What is it?
3: Well, The Plantsman is the RHS's magazine for the keener gardener, the people who want to read in more detail about plants. Um, And it comes out four times a year. It's a subscription-only magazine, so you have to buy it by mail order, and RHS members get a discount on it.
1: Am I right in thinking that there's articles and the Plantsman published on the website so people can get a, a taster of what's in store?
3: That's certainly true yes there's about two or three articles per issue that we put on the website and a list of contents from the magazine so you can have a look at it and see whether you'd like to subscribe.
1: Later we'll be discussing our picks of classic gardening books and of those hot off the publishing presses this year but first... Why, in 2016, in the age of smartphones, tablets, apps, and the internet, a gardening book still relevant? Chris? It's a good question. But books are
4: still selling well, um, both in digital and in physical form. But I think when you marry the subject of gardens and plants, it's quite a difficult experience to recreate on a website or on an app or digitally. And so there is still that joy of being able to flick through a book. um, And that element of serendipity, whether it's the content or the images, uh, that you just don't get from a website or from um, social media. All of those things are completely valid and really important in people engaging and enjoying plants and gardens. But there is still something special about a book. There is still that smell, that tactility, um, the fact that it sits on your bookshelf, that you can write and annotate in it, you can put your notes in it. And there is still that companionship that you get from a book um that you don't quite get from a digital media whether it's a generational thing because we're all over 40 um who knows um but i think that even my kids are still enjoying the physical act of reading um and uh, as i say i think for our subject matter that we're so passionate about books still make a great deal of sense thanks chris mike
1: why do you think books still persist
3: well i agree with all that chris has said and i think The authority you get from books um, can't be beaten as yet. I mean, there are a lot of very good websites that are very comprehensive, but um, a book about a particular subject, you know that if you read it and use it to its fullest extent using the index and the references and that sort of thing, that you're going to get everything you want to know about that subject. And as yet, there are no websites that do that. So that's why I find a book is so much better still than anything you get online
1: thanks mike fiona as head of libraries i expect you're quite keen on books <laughs> why do you think your libraries are still well stocked with books
2: i think i've been the wrong job if i didn't like books a lot i think um i think it's just taking up on what chris says people have an emotional connection with a book that it's really hard to kind of generate with a website or dare i say it, a podcast. Um, oh, uh, I think. <laughs> <laughs> i think um nobody's ever kind of talked about you know kind of handling and sniffing a, a digital product and you do and i go into the rare books room and just breathe in and you breathe in you know the lovely smell of old leather and, and old paper um i think books are beautiful physical things and they never let you down in terms of usage you, they don't run out of battery sun glare isn't a problem you can you know kind of maltreat them and they still work they can be um, quite heavy though <laughs> they can be quite heavy but it's good for your back it's good good exercise Karen. i kind of rarely travel without an extra kind of four or five pounds of books don't of attached think, to me
4: don't you think there's also the intrinsic process of book making that make them have a value to yeah. so the fact that and this isn't to denigrate all websites but uh, something online can be written quite quickly quite immediately and actually with a book because there is a process of the author and an editor and a designer and the publisher who's stumping up the money it's got to be right yeah. so just that process and that time makes the validity of book of the book so useful
2: yeah the so there's been a lot of investment of time and and money obviously to get to the point where it hits the shelves and the other thing is you can see um quite easily how long something has been in print and therefore has that kind of sense of a accumulated authority that it's continued to be a reference and it's continued to be useful or loved by people and and people share books in a way i think that you share recommendations of books that you less so with kind of links to websites i think they've just got that lasting accumulation of of kind of attachment to them that digital struggles with i think
1: So, Fiona, does that mean e-books will never darken the doorstep of your libraries?
2: No, we're going well into e-books. I mean, there's all sorts of, um, um, they're expensive and it's tricky um, to kind of give access to them, to members and things. But no, we we are experimenting with e-books, particularly for students, for distance learners. Um, You know, lots of people are doing m-horts and it's a, you know, there are people from all over the country who can't get to libraries. We supply them with a lot of e-books. That's a big part of our work now.
1: Now, for historical context, Fiona, you're head of collections and libraries at the RHS. When did gardening books start being produced, and what have been some of the most influential?
2: Well, people have been writing about plants pretty much ever since the, the birth of the printing press. So, our oldest book dates back to 1514, which, but that's not a gardening book as such. It's a, a natural history. It's Pliny's Natural History, and that was followed on from a lot of, by a lot of books about. Um, the medicinal properties of plants, herbals. But in terms of a practical gardening book that we would recognise, I think you can trace it all back to a book from 1577 by Thomas Hill, The Gardener's Labyrinth, which we're lucky enough to have at the Lindley Library. Now, I've not brought it with me in my handbag to Peterborough, funnily enough. It's nestling in the um, rare books room. Um, But... um, it's a really, I've got a little modern reprint which was done in the eighties, edited by Richard Maybe. And when you leaf through that and you get past the kind of oldie worldie language, you would recognize a lot of the advice. Things like grow carrots in sandy soil, get rid of the stones so they don't come out wonky. Um, there's a couple of bits you might not, Guy, still be passing on, like bury the head of an ass at midnight on a full moon.
1: That wouldn't go that far. <laughs> <laughs> I mean.
2: Yeah, maybe maybe you know adapt it a little to modern times. But um, it follows the chronology that we're very used to with gardening books. Start with laying out, start with making a plan, improve your soil and then on to choice of plants and we're off. It's, things haven't changed in, in all of those hundreds of years really.
1: So I asked you all to select a classic of gardening literature to bring with you today. So let's have a look. What have you chosen?
2: Can I just say you nearly made me have a nervous breakdown asking this. I'm surrounded by a hundred thousand books and picking <laughs> just one classic nearly killed me. Well, um what well doesn't but
1: kill you makes you stronger.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and I went for um We Made a Garden by Marjorie Fish, which I wouldn't claim was the classic of garden writing, but it appeals to me because it's um I think gardens are made by the equation people plus plants and I bet you've all chosen a lot of very planty books so I went for one which was very people centered and we made a garden I think is one of the ultimate books in revealing either deliberately or not the personality of the gardener through it Um, Marjorie Fish married um, she was the secretary of the editor of the Daily Mail and married him late in life and this is a story of the battle between these two people in making a garden, which she only truly, she she won by outliving him. And this book is written after his death. And it's all about, um, it was written in 1956, and it's all about how um, Walter, her husband, would hate what she's doing now. And it's just a lovely kind of, um, like a renaissance of a woman who's been under a man's thumb and suddenly she's having her own way. Um, which is really nice. He was all about the lawns and the dahlias, um, and she got to, to grow a broad range of plants after he left. Um, and she 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 tries to flatter him, and she tries to say how you know how he did know a lot. But there's just little niggles under the surface about how oh now I can grow this and I can do that and I don't have to grow all these horrid dahlias anymore. And it's really it's really lovely because lots of personality comes through.
1: And um, you have a, a more modern book there as well.
2: Yeah that was tough to choose as well. (laughs) So I went with The Writer's Garden um, by Jackie Bennett which is just one of these lovely um, large format kind of coffee table books with really sumptuous photography and it goes through um, a a number of of famous authors who happen to have and love um, their gardens and their gardens are still with us and it talks about um, how their gardens were a refuge or a, um, a, a secluded place to actually write and get inspiration and follows the trail through their books so he can spot bits of their gardens that appear in their books. Um, so it's got all the ones you'd expect, like George Bernard Shaw and his writer Shed and Roald Dahl. But it's also got people I would never have associated with gardens, like Charles Dickens, who you think of as a very urban author. But he loved his garden in Gad's Hill in Kent, and he loved his pelagoniums. He had a pelagonium theatre, and he would wear a pelagonium in his buttonhole every day. Who knew? So that's why books are good. You find out things you never knew.
3: Indeed. Mike? Yes, well, as Fiona suggested, um, some of us have gone for very planty books, and I'm one of them. Um, and I've gone for a botanical work of reference, and it's called Mabberley's Plant Book, and it's by David Mabbley. Um And it is a classic, because it is actually based on a, a dictionary of flowering plants um, that was first published in 1904, although David Mabberley started updating this Um, back in the 1980s, and it's essentially a botanical dictionary. Um, But it's only a dictionary of plant names and plant families, which might sound really quite dull and boring, but it's actually extremely comprehensive and very useful. So you can look up a plant family and find what part of the world it grows in, how many genera and species belong to that family and its common names and those sort of things. So it's a, so from my working point of view it's very useful because I can use it to look stuff up to check um, what authors have written. Um, but it's also very useful for gardeners because they can um, use it to look up a plant name and find out a lot of background about that particular plant and its classification. Um, so... And the good thing about it, it has a very consistent approach. So he's adopted a sort of classification that, that um, is um, consensual, I suppose, so that it's, um, lots of botanists would agree with it, um, which is very helpful because you often get lots of different opinions in the world of botany. Um, but most people think that Mabali has done a very good job. So if you say, well, Mabali says this, most people will agree with you. So that's very handy. Um, <laughs> Um, Because, you know, we do get letters, us (laughs) editors, so we do do have to have um, something to back up uh, um, the the decisions that we make about um, stuff that we published. Um, But it's also got lots of fantastic sort of little nuggets in it. Um, And so, for instance, you can look up something like Lily, um, just the word Lily. um, And, of course, you'd expect to find the first genus that's mentioned is Lilium. But he gives about 20 or 30 other different plants that have the name lily. Um, so you can have Carolina lily, Blood lily, Bermuda lily, Eucharist lily, Fringed lily, um, Glory lily, Boat lily. Um, <laughs> lilies are the bane of my
2: fact, life. In fact, there's more than
3: 30. There's about yeah. 40, I should <laughs> think. Um, and of course, they're not all classic lilies, but it's it's just a fantastic reference for all those plant names that use the word lily or you can look up something more technical um, such as a a genus like petunia um, and it will just tell you how many species are in petunia what part of the world they come from um, and which are the most commonly cultivated ones so it's a really good work of reference also he says and even the introduction is is really good because um, it has lots of interesting facts like the largest genera largest plant genus in the world which happens to be astragalus which is a, a something in the pea family and he also says he's inserted 169 jokes into the text <laughs> a bit like samuel johnson did when he wrote his 18th century dictionary but i've actually never found any of these jokes <laughs> in this book or so. you just don't get his humor well maybe yeah i don't i don't quite know where they are so so that's my classic book mabbley's plant book by by david mabbley
1: fiona um you pulled the face when mike mentioned lilies are they the bane of your life by any chance? Oh,
2: It's just so many very early authors would use lily as an interchangeable um, description of a flower. And so quite often I get asked what did they mean by lily. And it could be anything almost from a rose through to what we would understand as a lily. And there are whole shelves of books by Victorian authors trying to work out what plants are mentioned in the Bible. And they mention lily a lot in the Bible. And it could be anything. Is the answer?
1: So it sounds like um, <laughs> sounds like that might have been sorted out by Professor Mabberley and um, subsequent generations of botanists. Yeah,
2: if he spent less time writing 169 jokes and more time <laughs> <consulting> <laughs> on sorting the that out, would lily. be good. Well, <laughs> Yeah,
3: th- I mean, this book would help you get to the bottom of that. I mean, it wouldn't give you all the answers, but um, it will certainly help you find your way around the word Lily.
1: And did you did you have a, a modern book that tickled your fancy?
3: Mark? Yes, I did. I um I've I've got this book here, and it's called. It's, it's got the very um, prosaic title of Plant, um, <laughs> with the subtitle of Exploring the Botanical World, um, and what makes it even more difficult to recommend, it doesn't even have a single author, but um, it's, uh, it's a, there's a number of contributing authors, um, and it's published by Faden and... Um, this year, 2016, so it's very modern. Um, basically, it's a, a botanical art book, um, and there's no denying it's a coffee table book. Um, but it is a very sumptuous one, and it contains about 300 works of botanical art um, from all periods and all cultures. Um, so you can just it really, it's a book you can flick through, but you can um, you can find um, works of art by all sort of classic art botanical artists. Um, such as Ferdinand Bauer, John Audubon, George Erette, um Leonardo da Vinci, Joseph Hooker, uh, Redoute, Marianne North, Hiroshiga, all those sort of people who've, who've done classic works of botanical art that a lot of us are familiar with. Um, so there's an example from one artist pictured in the book in a, on a great big plate, um, and then there's some um, explanatory text under each one which gives a little bit of history of the artist. Um, and the plant possibly that they've they've talked about um so it's really just a very good sort of if you don't want to sort of buy a book from a particular botanical artist but you want a sort of overview of the world of botanical art then this is a really good one and there's some fantastic modern stuff in here as well um you know some very conceptual art um there's artists who've Made herbarium specimens from plastic flowers that they found in cafes. Um, <laughs> there's even an artist who's actually done a botanical drawing of a plastic flower, <laughs> um, and, and um, also and some very um, modern um, botanical artists as well working in the sort of classical tradition, I suppose. Um, people like Rachel Pedder Smith, an Oriental artist uh, called Lee Kwang Ho. Who does sort of hyperrealistic um, depictions? In this case, a, a rat-tailed cactus. Um, so just a just a very good um, summary of the world of botanical art. So I love that book.
1: I never thought, in all the years I've known you, Mike, that you would mention plastic flowers and herbarium in the same sentence. <laughs> well, I know.
3: I mean, I I, I I realize my colleagues might be a bit shocked, but, um, just that shows how forward-thinking he is.
1: You're quite yeah, right.
3: It's good. Good to see a bit of fun entering the world of botanical art.
1: And Chris, what book have you chosen for your contemporary for your um, ancient classic?
4: Well, it's not so much ancient, but for me, it is a classic, and it really set me on the path of the job that I do today. It's called "The Three Thousand Mile Garden" by Roger Phillips and Leslie Land, uh, and it's really an exchange of letters um, in the truest historical sense. Um, and I st- this was published in 1992. And uh I just remember, I was 16 at the time, and I remember reading it as soon as it came out, and I thought, crikey, if two people in different parts of the world, because uh, Roger Phillips was in London and Leslie Land um, was in America, in Maine, these two correspondents, if they could share a passion over the water in different climates with different plants, I th- you just think, wow, how exciting is the world of gardens and plants. And it combines so much about their personality, about their experiences, about the plants they grow, about the importance of being in a garden, uh, the importance of crops as well, because they're both keen cooks and um, growers of fruit and veg. And it really just encapsulates all of that many people get out of the joy of gardening and being in a garden and sharing that experience. It's only 20-odd years old, but it seems still so timely because you could write that now with different people in the different in the same parts of the world and you would still get that rap- rapport between people it's also got that lovely pacing that you get from um, a book which is about correspondence so that they receive a letter because this is pre email um, they would receive a letter and then it would take them a few weeks to write back to each other so you don't get a completely consistent flow of you said this in your letter and I'm responding to it but you get that slight disconnect which just makes it interesting and real Um there's a huge amount of information and articulation about plants there's a lot about climate um you forget don't you after years um that uh, one summer was a lot hotter or drier than another um so they talk about that which a lot of gardeners do there's a lot of uh, roger's um small scribbles and drawings and plans planting plans and again for somebody when i was starting out thinking gosh, you can actually show the plan of the plants, you can talk about the plants and you can share the passion all in the same book. It has to be a pretty special book. So it's not as um, uh, tomish as Mike's Maboli book, which is incredibly important in its own world. But this was just so important to me about the humanity of gardening and the humanity of being in a garden and sharing that with these two people who've got a good sense of humour. They don't take it too seriously, but actually through their writing, they show uh, what they're learning. And as a reader, you can uh, learn with them.
1: And I see you have a, a vast tome there as your your modern book. Which you can barely lift.
4: Yeah. So the so the this big tome is a is um, uh, a pretty uh, weighty book. This is the new RHS uh, and DK A to Z Encyclopedia of Garden Plants. And most gardeners have at least one encyclopedia from the DK and uh, from DK and RHS on their shelves. And this is the fourth edition of the A to Z of Garden Plants. Uh, it's been substantially. Um, Revised and updated since it was first published 20 years ago. In fact, Mike from The Plantsman was one of the contributing editors. Um, And it is just such an essential reference. The quality of it has increased. So we've put more images in. We've got all the RHS hardiness ratings. So actually people can know how hardy that plant will be. Um, And it's got 5,000 new plants in it. So there's more than 15,000 plants now listed in this encyclopedia both hardy and uh, not hardy plants but it's got all of the essential information rigorous information you'd expect from uh, this sort of book Um, and it gives a huge amount of information on how to grow these plants and where to put them it's an absolute bible for any of us gardeners and it's been so exciting that it's been updated and really comprehensively so um, since it was first done 20 years ago
1: thanks um for my books i've brought along um some old ones some a Sir Edward Salisbury, who was the director of Kew in the nineteen fifties, and he wrote a book that was fantastically popular called The Living Garden. And it was so popular that the RHS awarded him the Veitch Memorial Medal between the wars. And Sir Edward was a he was an ecologist, one of the first ecologists. And The Living Garden is about the ecology of the garden. And he went on in 1961 to produce another book which is basically ecology which is about weeds, invasive weeds, which are again very important nowadays. So um, he was the founding father of that, and these books are, are thoroughly to be recommended. Because The Living Garden was so popular, um, you can buy a copy for about 50 pence quite easily. It's very, very common. Um, Weeds and Aliens, the other book, is not so widely published, but it is considerably more scientific, and it still is a, an essential uh, record of invasive plants. The important um, thing is, I suppose, that he's set the set a standard for garden, for garden writers about bringing science into the garden and making it approachable and understandable. And my second choice is a book by Noel Kingsbury uh, called Garden Flora written in uh, timber press in which Noel also brings science into the garden but in this case um, botanical science and what he's done is started off in the introduction with uh, details of the botany of plants and looking at especially the DNA morphology um, and the g- genetics of garden plants which he then has expanded into a series of about 156 chapters each one taking a particular plant all about it and its naming um, where it comes from its history of use its genetics as far as they're known um, and each uh, chapter is a, a bite-sized bit it's always difficult to remember information about plants when there's so many um, but books like this that tell you a bit about their history, where they come from and their quirks and their modern developments are really helpful. I'm extremely hopeful that it'll run to a second edition where the botanical parts can be expanded. Um, so that's my my modern book.
4: I think for me, what you're saying, Guy, is also tatters to what we were saying earlier about the importance of books, that they do get updated. So with the encyclopedia, with Mabbley or with your Noel Kingsbury book, The way that DNA changes people's understanding or the naming conventions of plants or um, descriptions about how they grow or um, new uh, species or cultivars that are uncovered, actually you, you get that better out of the book because actually things do get updated new editions come out and again that just helps you pinpoint where you are in your gardening journey or in time because actually you understand that this information has been passed on to somebody else and the latest edition of a book is therefore the most up to date
1: that's quite right and the living garden by sir edward salisbury was went into many editions right through the 1930s and 40s and into the 50s so we're pretty sure he got it right and it's something that can be relied on and i still rely on it today i used it only the other week to advise a television program on making floral clocks which are flowers that flower at different times of the day Um, but um, since sir edward's time of course uh, there's a huge amount of science on things called circadian rhythms which is how plants react during the day Um, but sir edward's observations are still sound after all these years thank you all well we're almost out of time on this special literary edition of the rhs gardening podcast but finally, with Christmas almost upon us, as well as those books already discussed, have you got any other recommendations of books that would make great gifts for garden lovers this year?
2: Well, can I do a shameless plug for the library? Um, I don't see why not. <laughs> there was a book published this summer by the RHS and Carton Books called The Rose, and it's great as a gift because it's a two-for-one. You get a book, but you also get 40 beautiful frameable prints of roses from our lovely botanical art collections and it goes into the history and story of each of these roses and the roses are plant which has had a lot of myth and story attached to it so it's great for somebody who appreciates flowers but also wants some really lovely pictures to put on their walls
1: that sounds lovely mike what did you have in mind for gifts for the garden lover
3: well my my suggested gift is another plug for one of our own books um, just like fiona Um, and this one is called And it's the first in our series of horticultural monographs. So these are some specialist books that we're publishing um, that look in particular depth at at particular plant groups. And of course, as all gardeners know, nephrophias are red-hot pokers. Um, And this book, written by Christopher Whitehouse and published by the RHS, um, has information on all the red-hot pokers you're ever likely to come across. So there's about 70 species, all with photographs in the wild, fantastically um, beautiful and colourful photographs of all the species and it covers about 200 cultivars which is more than they are currently available um, again with photographs and descriptions of them all plus how to use them in the garden, how to grow them um, and everything you really want to know about Nephophias or, or Red Hot Pokers so a fantastic book for a, a keen gardener.
1: I'd certainly second that, I remember when Dr Whitehouse came back from his exploration of South Africa with all his pictures, um, his talks are absolutely thrilling. Well for my book I've gone for another RHS book, I um, suspect you're detecting a trend here, it's called Unpractical <laughs> Latin for Gardeners by my colleague James Armitage. Um, it's a slim tome and Uh, not very expensive so an excellent stocking filler but it's full of deep wit and wisdom and uh, some of dr armitage's well-known dry wit has come through and his well-known clarity too Um, it doesn't sound like a a nail-biting sort of book but it is full of the most fascinating detail that gardeners will find very useful but chris you don't seem to have brought a book what, what are you going to recommend for Christmas? Well, the first
4: thing I was surprised is you didn't plug your own book, Guy. <laughs> uh, How do worms work, which is another great stocking filler and is sort of a physical representation of the way your brain works, <laughs> which is in sort of random sparks of useful and useless information so that's that's a brilliant book
1: i'm uh, tacky but i'm not so tacky that i publish promote my own book <laughs> <laughs>
4: obviously i don't know you that well then uh no the other well all i was going to say about a book that we're publishing next year so if any of you are getting presents that you don't want to keep or you want to take <laughs> back or you don't like my colleague's suggestions then there is a book next year that really sings the praises of um, an individual and it's um, roy lancaster so one of the uh, world famous um, plants people and um, explorers uh, who will be celebrating a very special birthday next year and uh, his book his autobiography we're publishing next spring and if anyone um, has ever read um, Roy who his articles are in every issue of the garden magazine or if you've ever heard him speak either in gardeners world or on the radio on a lecture you can hear his voice in every word he writes and um, so reading this book it's been fascinating because it's just like having Roy reading to you um, and it's a really special book it's very humbling it's It's very exciting because it talks about all the plants he's known and loved and found and also it just sums roy up in terms of bringing people together and reminding us that plants and places combine and make special make special memories
1: and is this book available for pre-order
4: it will be be pre-order in the new year
1: thank you chris so that's all for today my thanks to fiona davison chris young and mike grant I'm Guy Barter, and you've been listening to a special edition of the RHS Gardening Podcast. You can find details of all the books discussed at rhs.org.uk forward slash books podcast. And you can buy many of them through the RHS's online shop. That's all we have time for in this edition. If you haven't already, why not sign up for our free fortnightly gardening podcasts? Each edition contains a mixture of features and discussions exploring every aspect of gardening, from plant care to garden design, growing your own fruit and vegetables and expert seasonal advice. Download it from our website rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast or subscribe to it every fortnight via iTunes. Until the next time, from me, Guy Barter and all the podcast team, goodbye.